We're excited today. It's a big Sunday for Grace Community History. If you walked in today, you might see a bus and you might see us wearing some shirts and you might be wondering what the world is going on. Well, we have a theme this year for us to get off the bus. In fact, eight weeks ago, I walked out here and I stood on this bus and it's been here for eight weeks. And I told you a story about a coach from Grace College, told you a story about a basketball team from Grace College that had the opportunity to play a Division I team, Indiana University. Now, if you're not familiar with NAIA schools, most of the athletes in NAIA schools aspire to one day play Division I sports. And Chad Briscoe, who's the athletic director, and others that were there had an opportunity to schedule Grace College down to Winona Lake, school of 1,500 people. My wife and I are graduates, and our older kids are, and our younger son will be going there in the fall to play against IU in basketball. Coach Kessler, who I know personally, um, is a great man of God, loves his team, develops young men in addition to uh, basketball. They were driving down, the story goes, and Pastor Tannen, who's on staff here, who's our children's pastor, played on that team. Tells the story that as they're driving down to IU to play against IU, that's a pretty significant opportunity. And if you're a sports fan or you're a, a, an athlete of any sort, to have this chance to go against someone who's better than you, it, it, has, it pushes something in you to come out of you. So as they're pulling in, it's a big place, tons of students. They drive into a place where the bus goes instead of walking across the parking lot. Coach Kessler knew he needed to encourage his team. So he looks at his team, Grace Lancers, and says these words that has been rippling through the landscape of Indiana and the graduates of Grace since. He saw his basketball team and he said these words to them, wanting to encourage them and knowing that they had what it took to play basketball. Same size court, 94 feet, 15 foot free throw, 19.9 or longer for college. They had a chance to play. He looked, stood up in the front of the bus and said this to his team. If you don't think you can compete, if you don't think there's a chance to win, then don't get off the bus. Now, that was a powerful, motivating speech. And so he exited, and the players had a choice to make. Did they think they had what it would take to compete? Did they think they had what it would take to possibly win this game? Now, if you were there, and I were there, And the team that was there walked off of that bus that morning because someone told them that they had what it was within them to compete, that they belonged there, that they have an opportunity to play basketball against someone better, but don't be afraid of them. Just lace up your sneaks, get in the game, and play. So every single manager, every single coach, every single player walked off of that bus, and played IU that day. And so I've been encouraging you over these last eight weeks that we have what it takes in Christ, not in our own strength, but in Christ. And by faith, we can step out. And so today, I'm going to encourage you to say this as we wrap up this series, and we have a dedication at 1.30 today, get off the bus and go. Let's just go. We have an opportunity to take the gospel of Christ to this community. And when we do that, people have the seed of truth planted within them. And you've heard me say this, 150,000 people in Elkhart County would say that they don't have a home church. 
out of 200,000 people. And you might say, how is that possible when there's over 200 churches? It's possible because the Bible tells us that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel, Jesus Christ. So you know what the plan is, and some of you have come today to pledge towards that. And maybe you've been wondering, why are, we, why are we doing this? And why are we putting a playland on our campus? And why do we have an indoor track? And why do we have a weight room and a women's workout curves facility? And why do we have basketball through the week and in the evening? Because we always want to be a place where people can come to, we can bridge the gospel and present Jesus to them. If you don't think that's true, then listen to one of our very own, Myra Simpson and her husband, Patrick, who come to Grace. They weren't coming to Grace, and back in 2005, when we used to meet in the middle school, before we built this building, Myra was on the other end of drawing this building. She works for Interface Architecture. In fact, she drew our new plans too, but this is her story of how intrigued she was about what God was wanting to do through Grace Community Church. She wrote this this week on social media. Myra said this, I work for a local architectural firm. Back in 2005, I worked on this floor plan design for a church, which is this building that you're in right now. She put, it was different than other churches we had designed. There was a multi-purpose, that is a worship area, is used as a gym during the day. In 2007, she said, we were surprised that they came back to our office to add on a foyer, kids' classroom, and another worship venue by the layout in this new edition called The Link. And by the way, hello to those you're watching in The Link today. She said this, my husband and I decided to visit and check it out. So when we came back and built the second part of this renovation, the, the addition, they decided they would come and check it out. And then this is what she said. Easter 2008 was when I rededicated my heart to Jesus Christ. Because of those who sacrificed and gave, we found our home church. We have been attending regularly, found great friendships, and seen our marriage restored and strengthened. As adults, Patrick and I were baptized in 2012. She said, it's been a great journey starting together in tiny town for the past years as deacons. And as fight club and training camp leaders, our prayer is to grow spiritually and raise our children to know and have a relationship with Jesus, as well as spreading the good news of Jesus and his gift of salvation and grace. Then she said this, it's time again to grow and expand. It's been an honor to see the design evolve. Praying each step of the way, we give God all the glory. We're praying for our church and She said next Sunday, which is this Sunday, we're excited to see God's provision and his plans work to reach the lost. Can we praise God for that testimony? I tell you this to say this. God doesn't have us here just for no purpose at all. If you're breathing today in your life, look at the person beside, are they breathing? God has purpose for your life. You might wonder if your husband is, but is he breathing today? If you're breathing today, God just didn't give you another day of life to do nothing. God wants you to be a messenger of hope. God wants you to to share the good news of Christ with your life. 
do it whatever form it is, whether it's in the workplace if you're a welder, whether you're a carpenter and building a home, whether you're, you're a homemaker and you, you're really good at, at, at raising and rearing children, whether you're, you're a coach taking that sport and connecting God to life. God wants you. He has purpose. The only reason God wants us to continue to live is to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So we need to get off the bus and go. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a man that we've become familiar with in studying God's word by the name of Paul. Prior to Paul writing in this account in, 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 or seeing this account in Acts, Paul, as we know, was far from God. Very intelligent man. He was the elite of the elite. The most intelligent of the intelligent. And there was a moment in his life we called the Damascus Rose experience where he was blinded by God, literally, and he surrendered and repented and came to Jesus. And from that point on, he was a man on a mission. And now we find him in Athens. He's looking at this community and he recognizes that they are lost and he can't sit there and do nothing about it. Paul's about to get off the bus and go. And I'm going to show you through his example how we can do what Paul did. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. If you don't own a Bible, hold your hand up. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. If you don't own one, ushers will put one in your hand. Take it home. It's a gift from Grace Community. It's the best book that you'll have in your possession. It's living and active. But stand with me as we read Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 20 to begin. Acts chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. These are the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 17, would you read out loud with me, verses 16 to 20. Ready, read. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jew and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Then when they, they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange idea to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. You may have a seat. Paul is about to show us, and the word of God is about to show us, that we must do something right now. Like, even for our community, as I look out, we just can't sit here and be innocent bystanders and watch the world go to hell. We have the message of Jesus Christ that saves lost people from their sins and lets them have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have this incredible good news, and Paul has it too. In fact, look what he says. He looks around in verse 16 and says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly what? What's the word? Distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now that's a good observation. And why would that distress him? That the city was full of idols. Because they were searching for God to be near them. Now, let me just pull away and just give you a very practical observation. 
Anytime you see someone wearing a cross, anytime you see someone that has it hanging on, on, on their rear view mirror in their car, anytime you go into a home that you see someone that has a form of religion that, that's far from God, that's seeking God, we would say unconvinced, doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, aren't you often asking this question, why do they wear a cross? Like, why do we see sports athletes and, and, and entertainers that as best as we can tell don't have a personal relationship? Why in the world do they wear crosses? Like, have you ever wondered, like, it seems hypocritical that they would wear a cross. And why do, why do people get tattoos on their arms and, 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 and their forearms and, and, and their body? Why do they put crosses on their bodies if they don't know Christ? The reason is simple. It's because they want to be near God. And they think that somehow that putting this cross near them fills this empty void, this God-shaped blank that's within all of us. And in their mind, that brings God near them. And if God is near them, then that's a good thing. And so you'll see people from all walks of life, they love crosses. They put them everywhere. Why? Just like the, the, the followers in Athens. They had idol, idol, idol. And Paul's looking and saying, look at all those idols. Have you ever wondered why? Because they are searching for something that God has created a void in their lives to search for. And they want that thing near them. And so all through Athens, business owners, Households had idols. Why? Because in their mind, they could put God near them. But we know this, that the only way that God is with us, that God is near us, is a personal relationship. And so did Paul. And so he sees this as an opportunity to take what he observes with his eyes, make the connection to what they're already doing, and insert Jesus Christ. In fact, look how he saw this. It says in verse 16, while Paul was what? What's the word? Waiting for them. He observed these things. Paul was on mission even before he talked to them. We send out many mission teams, and I've been part of many mission teams, and most of you have too, and we hope to send out 300 more people this year. And by God's grace, I've been all over the world leading teams. And as we gather to lead these teams, one of the very first things we say, and I say, and our leaders say this, it's easy to look at the destination point. We're here in Goshen, we're going to Dominican Republic, we're going to Cambodia, we're going to Thailand, we're going to Costa Rica, we're going to New York, we're going, we're going, we're going to other parts of the world. It's real easy to say, when I get there, I'll be on mission. But the reality is, is that we're on mission the moment we breathe a breath. The moment we, we get in the vehicle, we get on the train, we get on the plane. And so we've often said, keep your eyes open, observe, like Paul did here. What are you observing? There's lostness. There's a plethora of gods. They believe in all kinds of gods. Engage in conversation. And on your way to being on mission and getting to the mission point, share Christ. And I can't tell you how many times the seed of the gospel has been planted thinking that somehow the work is done overseas when it was done in an airport eating a McDonald's burger across the table from someone else. And Jesus is telling us, get off the bus and go. Let me just ask you this morning, how many of you took time as you were driving 
to Grace Community today to pray for the neighborhoods that you drove through? How many of you saw businesses and cars and How many of you opened up the newspaper today and prayed through the newspaper or read it online and prayed for your community? That's taking your eyes and observing the community that you live in and praying for it. So Paul sees, he observes and sees all these idols, and then it says in verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace day by day, and those who happen to be there. He reasoned. Why? Because he saw how lost they were. Paul was a great observer, and we can be too. He was convinced that his message was exactly what they needed. One author has said it this way, and just listen, and I'll explain. Has said it this way. When you sell your product, be so convinced of its superiority that when you are finished, people will be more anxious to buy than you are to sell. Now, we're not selling Jesus, but we're representing Jesus. Let me give you an example. My father-in-law, who was an engineer for Ford Tractor, has since been retired. Very, very hands-on and loves to work with his hands and builds. It's kind of my nature. I was a carpenter before I became a pastor and built homes and And so we connect from an engineering perspective. And as I think about his life, when he worked for Ford Tractor, they wanted all the Ford Tractor and Ford employees to drive Ford products. Like if you work for that company, you better drive the vehicle that you're building. You better drive the vehicle that you're trying to sell. And so they gave them discounts and and, and they drove those vehicles. Now, when Ann and I met at Grace College back in 1986, one of my first trips up to see her folks, which is always pretty anxious time if you're the dude meeting the father of the, of the daughter. And as I'm driving up there, I pulled in the driveway and I noticed it's all Fords in the driveway. Like, they got all Fords. And I pulled into my Mazda RX-7. Like, this doesn't belong here. This vehicle doesn't belong here. The irony in that is that Once my father-in-law stopped working for Ford Tractor, he bought a GMC. (laughs) But you got to be convinced so that when someone sees you and spends time with you, they walk away and say, they're more convinced in having what you have than you were in presenting it. How does that happen? The New Testament says we should be the aroma of Jesus Christ. They watch our lives. Now, you've heard you said this, and and you've heard it, and I've said it, but... If your walk doesn't match your talk, then people aren't going to follow. So what you're saying must connect with what you're driving and what you're selling and what you're presenting. Otherwise, people won't be convinced to listen. So so Paul is saying, hey, this God that you're looking for, I know him. And I want to talk to you about him. I can see Paul saying, I don't care if you believe me or not, but Jesus is the way. Plain and simple, Jesus will change your life forever. Look who he gets to talk to, too. Look at verse 18. You talk about a group of people. Verse 18 says, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them, which is they love to do. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. 
They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. See, they had never heard about this Jesus in the fashion that Paul was talking to them. And so they were curious. Now listen, Epicureans and Stoics and philosophers, they love to debate. They love syllogisms and they love logic and they love facts and figures. And so they're open to new information because in their mind, if they know more, then they're worth more. And so think about Epicureans. Here's what an Epicurean, break it down, this is who Paul was talking to. They were all about indulgence. Their chief goal was pleasure. They didn't believe in the afterlife. So for them, eat, drink, and be merry. And they saturated their lives with pleasure. Yet Paul was talking this strange language that, about this God that they had never heard about before. Now, on the other hand, there's another group of philosophers there called Stoics. They were about indifference. Their chief goal was not to care, not to believe anything, to be dead to feelings and emotions, even if you have a death in the family. So the people that Paul was looking at, one said, enjoy life with everything. Go for it. The other one was said, just endure life. We got to be here. Now, enter Paul. Now, just picture Paul. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. He was triple A personality. There's no, no doubt. And he had been so radically changed by the gospel that he wanted people to know him. He was full of emotion, aggressive, take no prisoners, to live as Christ and to die as gain kind of follower. Yet these were very smart people and not much different than our community. Now listen to me. When I read this chapter, I was reading again this week and, and, and I was thinking, this sounds like Elkhart County. This sounds like Kosciuszko County. Because think about this. These were smart people, educated. They worshiped the human intellect. They loved newness and endless discussion about new ideas. They valued tolerance and diversity as seen by the plethora of gods. Like, I'm opening my Bible up. It's like, enter Goshen, Indiana. How True is our community tolerant. How true is our community educated? How true is our community just interested in seeking their own pleasures? The downside to these kind of people is this. When you worship intellect, you get educated arrogance. When you love newness, you get restless dissatisfaction. When you exalt tolerance... You get endless uncertainty, always seeking for the truth that you cannot find in possessions or knowledge. Listen, the only way. That's why when Jesus came, it was such a new message. When Jesus said this in John 14, he looked at his disciples and those within earshot of him talking. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets through the Father except through who? Me. Like, they had never heard that. They're thinking, no, it's through this God. Look, here it is, this idol. No, 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 it's through this idol. No, 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 it's through this cross. No, 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 it's through this tattoo. No, 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 it's through this. And and Paul comes along and says, listen, the very God that you're looking for, his name is Jesus Christ. So this was new to these men who wanted to debate. 
That's why we must jump right into the middle of the tr- with truth in our communities. You see, Athens in our community knows everything that is knowable except the most important thing, and his name is Jesus Christ. And be quite frank, I'll be very honest, I lose sleep over this. Like, I was restless last night. I was thinking, God, we get a chance. I was greatly disturbed as I think about our community. Like, dare we not be the church that there was a lampstand in 2017 and it goes out in 2018. May we always be a city on the hill that takes the good news of Jesus Christ well past my years as pastor at Grace Community because this community needs Christ. Would you believe that? You see, it is possible to be highly educated, Paul is showing us, and deeply religious and still be totally ignorant of God. They called him a babbler. Break that down. You know what that means? That there were scraps of seed everywhere. Like, you're just a babbler. You're just spitting seeds there. We never, we never heard anything like this. Look at their response after he says he meets them. Verse 19 says this. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. What does it say? To a what? Unknown God. So just pause and hit the button. How did he find that? How did Paul find a statue? of an? Because he walked into the community and he was observing culture. He was taking mental notes. Hey, there's a plethora. Hey, there's a Buddha. Hey, there's a shrine house. Hey, what is that statue? And he got closer and he walked up to it and the name on the statue said to an unknown God. And what did Paul do with that? He took that very thing that they had in their culture. What did he do with it? He bridged God to light and says, hey, you don't know who that unknown God is. Guess what? I do. Now think about this. If you're an intelligent person and someone knows something that you don't know, what are you going to do? What's, what's your next response going to be? Tell me about him. Paul was brilliant in his exercise of observing, sharing, and presenting Christ. So they said, this is a new teaching. This is strange. See, here's the problem. We have a nation of intellectual giants, but moral pygmies. We know more and more about the details and less and less about the meaning of life. So he looks at them and introduces them to this God that they've been looking for and haven't found. Because just look around. Look at all the idols. Look at all the crosses hanging around the necks in Goshen, Elkhart, Kosciuszko County, down at Syracuse at our lodge that we're expanding. How often do you see tats on arms? Like, look, you see rings that have crosses and bracelets that have crosses. Like, they're looking for the unknown God. And we get to say, I know who he is. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And so Paul connects God to life for them. 
We have to understand culture. Let me just say this in the most encouraging way I can. We have to be students of our communities. Like, if you're just running from point A to point B every day, from, from home to work, and, and, and you're not bridging out in community, and you're not building relationships with people who do what you do, if, you're, if, if you don't have unsaved friends in your lives, listen to me, you're not living on purpose for Jesus Christ. If all you have is holy huddles, let's just gather and learn some more. If you are educated way beyond your level of obedience, then listen to me, you're not on mission. You should drive down your streets and, and know the names of people and, 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 and do random acts of kindness and bridge relationship. I would encourage you, I encourage our staff, if you're not reading the local newspaper, then how in the world can you understand your community? If you're not reading the Goshen News, the Elkhart Truth, listen to me, then you're not trying to be a student of your community. I read the Goshen News. You can ask me, I read online. We still get a paper, it comes to our house. I read it and you know what I do? As I read through it, I see that this business started and there's a new owner and there's someone that died and there's this happening in the sports. This kid hit a home run. This, this kid scored 13 points and, and, and I'm watching. You know why? Because I'm gathering information so that if I ever engage these people, I can say, hey, guess what? I know this, I know that. And you know what else I do? I pray through the newspaper. God, please, I pray that you'll make Goshen the land of milk and honey again. God, bring us to Christ. If you really care about lost people, then you will be a student of your culture and your community. Let me ask you, just answer the question. Can you name five unsaved people that, are, that right now that you are presently trying to share Jesus Christ with? Can you name five families, unsaved people? Do you have five? Listen, that's why we're here. The DNA of Jesus Christ and his mission was seek and save lost people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22, paraphrase, I became, to the Greeks, I became the Greek. To the Jews, I became the Jew. To win some to Christ and try to win all to Christ. What are the ways you're learning about this culture? Let me give you a very practical way. This is one that people push away from. If you want to reach the millennials in our world today, here's what we often do. Listen, oh, you, we'll say, I hear stuff like this, not me. All they do is look at their phones. Have you ever seen the youth of today? You walk and they sit on couches and they talk to each other. You go to restaurants and it's time to eat. Mom and dad are eating. They're looking at their their phone. And we say, what's wrong with this generation? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with them. Hey, if you want to know this generation, then look at your phone. Then text on your phone. Then learn what Snapchat is. It's not that. And you say, well, I'm not good with technology. Oh, there's a bridge. Call your grandson. Call your granddaughter. Have your son bring his friend over and say, hey, I don't know how to use this smartphone. Can you show me how to put an app on here? And you know what you do? You sit right on the couch beside him and you talk to him. (laughs) Instead of saying what? This generation, they don't know anything about communication. And I want to say, oh, yes, they do. They're talking to people on the other side of the world while you're mad at them. I challenge you. Quit complaining. Be proactive. 
speak. And let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you. I love the millennial generation. I love the youth of today. I'm going to be their advocate. I love our teens. I love the college students of today. I am so grateful I get to rub shoulders with them. And when you show them that you care and you will take time to enter their world, they will be loyal to you forever. Quit complaining and be like Paul. Observe. They're trying to find God. Look at that idol. There's an unknown God. Get on mission. Tell people about Jesus. He did this because he knew who he was in Christ. Then he tries to explain he says in verse 23, he says, to an unknown God. In verse 24, he says, hey, you giving me? And they said, who is this unknown God? Bam, Paul was like, fire hose, hold on, here it comes. Look what he said in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Paul, he wants to say, and those idols that you have in your storefronts and those necklaces that are hanging around your neck. Then he says this, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, sarcasm. Rather, he himself gives everyone what? What's the word? Life and what? Breath and everything else. Then he says this, since you ask, let me tell you more about this unknown God. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Imagine that. Adam and Eve. Oh, he, he talks about creation. Wow, look at that opportunity. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would what him? What's it say? Seek him and perhaps reach out for him and what him? Find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Why did he say that? He was an observer of culture. He's not far from you. So you don't need this idol. You don't have to have that cross around your neck. You don't need that tattoo for God to be with you. The way God is with you is when he becomes your Lord and God and the Holy Spirit lives in you and everywhere you go, he goes. That's what they're looking for. And then he says this, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then he inserts this incredible line of scripture. As some of your own poets have said, we are his what? Offspring. You see what Paul did? Look, it's, it's, it's classic Paul. What did he do? He took something that was said at the liar's table at the Sunoco gas station in New Paris. And he said, hey, they said this. And he injected it into their minds. He connected something they already said and added it to his own line of thinking. Why? Because he knew that this was something that they had already heard. He says this, we are his offspring. Look back at verse 25. This is an incredible line of reasoning to intelligent people. Verse 25 says, as if he needed anything. I love this phrase because of this. The word needed in the original is the Greek word therapeutai. It's where we get our English word therapeutic, which means rendering service to a sick person. So Paul says, answer, God is not sick. 
if you will, for paraphrase, he has never felt better than he does right now. He is in perfect health. God is sufficient and independent. What he is, we are not. That's what he said. Don't you love how Paul spoke the language of the day? And basically what Paul was telling them, these intellectual giants, was this. He doesn't require any help from us. He doesn't profit from anything that we do for him. Like his divine being isn't enhanced by anything that we do humanly. The psalmist tried to describe this. Hold your finger here and turn to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. He tried to describe our God for us. Look in Psalm chapter 50. And look at verses 9 to 12. Psalm chapter 50, it's a description of God. Now, I just want you, just, just let this soak all over you because the word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, able to penetrate the bone and marrow of our body. So basically, just let this scripture just baptize you and feed you because it's living and active. And then it says in Psalm 50, verse 9, it says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, God says. For every animal of the forest is what? What's the word? Mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the what? mountains and all the mosquitoes in the fields praise god hallelujah amen huh and the insects in the fields are what then he says this if i were what i would not tell you human beings for the world is what and all that is in it the truth is this god is honored by our worship and service but he doesn't need it to fill up any lack of his own divine person So he quotes a Greek poet. And he says about this Greek poet. This is very important, by the way. Listen, this this is good news. Look again what he says. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he speaks it with a holy boldness. Why offspring? Why that choice? Here's what he's telling us and telling you today and telling me. Think about this. He reminded them that they are God's offspring and not his children. Now listen, there's a big difference there. The big difference is this. They were his by virtue of creation. But Galatians 3.26 says, We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a difference between being a son and a daughter of God as opposed to being an offspring So he's saying this to these intellectual giants. By creation, we belong to God. By redemption, we become his children. You see, it is possible to be be God's offspring, yet not be his child, because you have not trusted in Jesus Christ. By birth, we belong to Jesus. By faith, we enter his family as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be born again. That's why the terminology in John says you must be born again. Why? Because God created you with a physical birth, offspring. And when you're born again by faith, you have a new heart. You have a new father, God. You have a new relationship. You're now a son and daughter. And so he's looking at these intellectual giants and saying, hey, you're offspring, but you can have a relationship which is better than this religious God's. See, Paul was a very, very intelligent man. And so then he says this. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, 
an image made by human design and killed. So he says, listen to me, because your offspring, don't think that God is that statue and (laughs) don't think that he's that cross. Don't think it's something that you've made with your hands that you put in a a furnace and, 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 and a kiln and out popped God. Let's just all make gods. He's saying, you can't make God. He has always been who he is, and he will always be who he is. And the only reason that that you're here is to find this God. And the only way to find this God is through new birth, is through being a son and daughter and by faith in the unknown God that you have a statue for. It's the same for us today. The unknown is now known. And Paul is telling them, that there needs to be a radical life change. Picture, can you picture him as he points out and says to them, he's given us proof. Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, listen, that proof is still alive too. It's not only recorded in God's word. If you go to Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian, and he gives the account of Christ, and even in his history book, he talks about Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. Let me just say this about our community and highly intelligent people. They often feel they don't need Jesus. Their own attainments have made them feel as if they're above that or beyond that. And here's the truth. We are often intimidated by such people, by smart people. But smart people need Jesus too. So Paul is saying, just listen. Just tell them what he's done in your life. Why? Revelation says, we overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of our what? Testimony. Just speak your life. Just, just, just read what Myra wrote on social media. Just tell them, this is the Myra and Pat before 2005. This is the Myra and Pat after 2008. This is what can happen. That God that you're looking for, his name is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul lived as though his life was not his own and life was on loan to him. And this wasn't his eternal home. And too much was at stake for him not to reach his culture and his community. So what happened after he talked? Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them what? What's it say? But others said, We want to hear you, what? Again, on this what? After that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became what? And what? Among them was a member, listen, of the Aeropagus Dionysus, who was a judge, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. You see, because of his faith and his understanding of culture, because of his ability to take what he saw and observed, and when he found this statue that had to an unknown God, he said, listen, I know who this unknown God is. His name is Jesus Christ. What does Romans tell us? How will they know unless someone is sent? And how can they hear unless a messenger speaks. And you know who those messengers are? We are. So as I think about looking forward 
Some got saved, praise God. Even a judge, now think about this judge. Imagine if all our judges in Elkhart County and Kosciuszko County, some are saved. Imagine as they were about to make a decision on someone's life, they would now have the Holy Spirit within them to make that decision. Paul was very sensitive. He knew when to talk and when not to talk. Let me just encourage you. Our passion for Christ should be evident. But the word of God tells us that we should share the gospel with gentleness and respect. How do you do that? Well, you pray Luke 12, 12 over every encounter. And you've heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. If I am in conversation and I see an opportunity to bridge the gospel, I often pray this. Luke 12, 12 says, just ask the Holy Spirit and he will tell you what to say. Have you ever been in a setting where someone hasn't done that? And you're there. And they're trying to jam Jesus Christ down someone's throat. Have you ever seen that? And you're just getting like all weirded out. And you're feeling like, oh, stop. You see, not only should we ask the Holy Spirit what to say, we should ask the Holy Spirit when to stop. Because you can't throw it all down their throat if they're not ready to receive it. I can't tell you how many times, and Anne will attest to that, we've been in conversations with people. And either she's sharing or I'm sharing with someone or our kids who share Jesus Christ, right? They've, they've had, by God's grace, they had the opportunity to lead a lot of their friends to Jesus. And as we're standing there, I can't tell you how many times you, 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 you present the unknown God and you begin to talk and then you see it. It's just, they don't want anything to do with it. And both of us look at each other and say, it's time to stop. Hand them over to God. Why do I tell you this message today? Because I don't want you to be intimidated by sharing the gospel in this community. I want you to expect opposition. Some sneered. I want you to keep the message of Christ front and center. Just preach Jesus. And I want you to know that God wants us to seize every opportunity. And how do you do that? You go home today and you say this, Lord. I live in this cul-de-sac. I live in this community. I work on this assembly line. I own this newspaper. God, open my eyes and help me be so convinced. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, 10, there's a fire burning inside me. Even if I try to contain it, I could not. Help me, Jesus, because Holy Spirit, you live in me to reach 150,000 one by one. Imagine Imagine 50 years from now, someone standing on this property. 50 years from now, I'll be long and gone and spending time with my creator in heaven and enjoying every second of it. And saying, there was a group of people that were willing to sacrifice and give and share and have a holy boldness. And because they told me that God could be near me and I didn't need to build a statue or carry a cross around my neck, that his name was Jesus, I have been gloriously saved. That's my hope. Oh God, help us today. God, this addition that we're building is not about buildings. It's a tool, it's a vehicle. But God, you've given us the opportunity to make it happen. And so God, I pray that we would be generous. And God, not only just generous, we would give by faith. The only way, God, your resources can be distributed on earth is through your children. And we have 
to not shut it off or squash it off or, or, or shut it down, but we have to have our hands open and say, God, give through me. I pray, God, that one by one, that our community would come to know Jesus because of the love and concern and that people at Grace Community were deeply distressed that they don't know you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor John. Thanks, Jim. It's been a great two months as we've gone through this campaign. We've talked about what uh, God uh, is doing here in our midst and what we're believing him to do. If you're a visitor today, um, we are, we, today is a big Sunday here at Grace, and we are taking uh, this offering as we continue to get off the bus and as we pledge. If you happen to forget your pledge card today, uh, ushers have these pledge cards. They have some extra ones that you're going to have to raise your hand. They'll come to you and give you one of these pledge cards if you happen to forget today. But they are coming now, and everybody is getting one of these envelopes. Everybody needs one of these envelopes. So guys, come on up. Let's get those passed out so they can start to, to write on those. But if you need a pledge card, raise your hand up. Uh, that's no problem. Real high, and they'll get you those. So guys, whoever has the pledge cards, if you see a hand up, they need, they need a card. Everybody needs one of the um, envelopes, okay? And so everything you're given today is going to go inside the envelope. Uh, if you are giving your regular uh, tithe and offering, like you normally do in these blue envelopes, um, you're going to stick this inside the bigger envelope today, Okay. Over the next three years, as you guys give towards the uh, capital campaign fund, there's a line right on these giving envelopes for that. If you, if you don't have giving envelopes, you contact our office. That's how you get these, okay, so they can help to, to track that for you. But there's a line called a building campaign. So over the next three years, that's how you're able to fulfill that pledge. Um, but uh, everybody take one of these today. And right on the outside here, right on the outside, um, what... What is going inside today? So you're copying the information from your pledge card. Line number one, I'm able to give this much today. Uh, whatever that is today that's going in there, you write that on there. Uh, in addition, over the next three years, I pledge to give this amount. That's line number two. Write that on there again. And then number three is the total of one and two. So whatever you're giving today, plus whatever you're pledging to give over the next three years, you write that on line number three. Okay, we're not going to open these today. These will get opened by our counting team uh, like we normally do during the week. But today we're going to count the outside of the envelopes so that we can report uh, at our celebration uh, prayer time at the end of today what that number is. So so please write on the outside of the envelope what you're giving today. That helps us out for um, today. So giving envelope, your pledge card, your, your, your check or whatever, everything goes inside this envelope. Just fold it all up and fit it all in. That's why we got these nice big envelopes and we'll take um, that offering. You want to come back today at 1.30, uh, 1.30, rain or shine, we're going to be outside. So pray for shine. Uh, but we'll be out there. We'll be out there um, and uh, bring an umbrella. It's going to be exciting to see what God is doing in our midst. We're going to have a great time of prayer and celebrating what, uh, what comes in. Uh, go ahead and stay seated as the band comes out to lead us in worship. We'll take this offering here in a moment once we get all the cards passed out. If you have extra of these cards that kind and came through your aisle. Everybody needed one, but if there's extra, the ushers will come by and collect those. Just stick them on the end somewhere, maybe on the ground or hand them to somebody, and they'll collect those. But we're going to start uh, the offering here in a moment. And uh, stay seated so that we can pass the buckets out real easily. We're passing a five-gallon bucket today because these things are so big. Um, we, had, we needed something to collect them, and so that's what we're using today. All right, and then come back at 1.30 to find out what happens. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you today by giving and to act on the faith that we have. It's a chance, Lord, to step out and give you praise and give you glory and say, this is what we believe. This is what we believe God's going to do through our family uh, to contribute to this project over the next three years. God, this is, this is how much we believe in reaching our community. This is how much we want to reach the next generation. God, I pray that uh, you would take um, our gifts, our offerings, Lord, our sacrifices, and I pray that they would be um, sweet worship to you today. We give, Lord, cheerfully, and uh, we love you in your name. Amen. So the ushers will come forward as these guys lead. Praise God. Got some good news for you. We'll continue our worship and close out with today. I want you to grab this insert that was in your bullets and the one that's bigger than everything else and continue to stand. These are our goals for 2017. This is what we're praying Jesus does through the ministry of Grace Community Church. I'm going to read them off to you and just get excited to think about what can happen if we go on mission together. Just follow along. Celebrate 1,000 people getting radically saved and taking back homes for Jesus. Witness 500 people taking the plunge in baptism. Watch the Get in the Game building campaign be paid in full. Finish building a new caretaker's home. Lodge renovation. Celebrate hundreds of people trusting in Jesus at the lodge. Witness 10% of the 150,000 people in Elkhart County getting a personal touch from Grace Community. Reaching further and deeper into Syracuse community with the good news of Jesus. Unite 300 people fervently praying weekly at prayer encounter. Utilizing our building and grounds in new ways as a tool to reach our community for Jesus. Develop our green space into recreational ministry opportunities to touch our community with a life-saving relationship in Jesus. Catapult 300 students and adults onto new turf through short-term missions teams. Blow up our weekly offerings with off-the-charts giving because every attendee faithfully ties. Facilitate an all-men's conference on our campus to spur men to achieve their redemptive potential. Watch people from all walks of life kayak, canoe, walk, run, refresh, refuel, and come alive daily at the lodge. Raise up a fresh wave of volunteers that joyfully jump in and serve courageously. Challenge husbands become men who get their wives prepared to stand before Jesus as an unblemished, an unblemished way and lead their families as tender warriors. Encourage and equip wives to follow their husbands and respect them the way that Jesus intended them. Finding their beauty and identity in Jesus alone. Spur attending to think yes instead of no. And to jump out of the ruts of complacency and laziness. Break the chains of alcohol, gluttony, adultery, drugs, lust, gossip, laziness, and other addictions. Releasing people to live in freedom. Pour life and love into the Grace for Iraq mission point. So that thousands are encouraged and run to new faith in Jesus. Double the impact of our youth in this community. Through outreach and creative Jesus-centered gatherings. Equip parents to train their children to run after God. And Influence their peers and walk with the wise. Connect with the heart of God in a fresh way through our personal and corporate worship so that Jesus gets greater glory. Witness firsthand 10 unplanned miraculous healings and marriages. Seek and explore new exciting ways to take the gospel to the marketplace in this community. Become the fittest, healthiest, most courageous, and robust group of Christ followers the world has ever known. Be a firsthand witness to five unplanned miracles of God where people walk away and say, only God could do that. Hire the brightest, fittest, godliest, best-suited chemistry-wise to our pastoral staff and other staff positions. Beg God to blow us away with fresh, innovative ways through our blitzes to be a church on mission in the community around the world. Move 1,000 men from 10 weeks of fight club to a lifestyle of being fully surrendered, disciplined, and chasing after Jesus all year long. Develop 1,000 women to follow hard after Jesus through our remarkable women's women's ministry. Supporting, praying, cheering on, and assisting our rescue orphans to become the first wave of college graduates and leaders of Cambodia and Thailand. Witness... 
witness every grace attendee give up their seat for someone far from God this year and usher in phase two of the expansion. Send, help, bring healing, equip, mentor, and release 20 individual or families out and back out into full-time ministry. Give away $100,000 of food, resources, and money to help the underprivileged in our community. Stir a fresh wind of revival in the hearts of our attendees and empowers them to go all in for Jesus. Add fuel and ignite the fire that is brewing within our 18 to 28-year-olds through the pursuit so that the walls of the lodge will not be able to contain them. Develop a new, fresh international platform for Jesus through message, worship, and mission. Develop a new, fresh look to our website and logo so that many more are connected to the mission of Jesus at Grace Community Church. Develop our attendees into fully developed Bible reading, gospel sharing, resource giving, and disciple-making followers of Jesus. Become a mentoring, supporting, sharing arm for the hundreds of other churches with our ministry initiatives so that the world is one to Jesus. Set aside pride and make fun, laughter, celebration, surprises, freedom, creativity, the unknown, joy, a winner's mentality, gratefulness, generosity, and faithfulness, the core ingredients of our DNA and beg God to station us strategically so that every person that calls grace their home church can become a mooring point of hope for people far from God and lead one person to a life changing relationship with Jesus. Any amens for this this coming year? God, that's our prayer. That's our, that's our longing. We can't do without you, Jesus. We don't even want to try. We want to give you all the glory in advance. If any good comes from Grace Community or from us, it's all because of you. We just want to be used. We want to be a mooring point of hope. We always want the lampstand to burn brightly in Goshen so that your name gets lifted higher. And so, God, as we close with this truth from this song, this is our heartbeat. This is what we long for. This is the church we want to be. This is the church that we pray that you would shape us, mold us into be, because this is where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.